Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I'm thankful that you were here. Pray that you had a good week, were able to spend time with family, able to reflect on the goodness of our Lord. Uh, if you still have your Bibles open to the text that Brother Dusty read for us earlier from Isaiah chapter 11, uh, grab those. If you don't, if you would turn there, that will be our text for this morning, Isaiah chapter 11. While you're turning there, I say I don't know if you can see from your cars, but got a little fireplace up here this morning. Didn't want to get too cold on the porch, so I want to thank my wife for that. This morning in Isaiah 11, this is going to be our last. We're still in the series that we've been doing uh, throughout the month of December, looking at Old Testament promises, looking at these messianic promises, promises about the coming Messiah. Uh, that were fulfilled in Jesus. And so we've already, I, I trust and pray at this point, that we have well established that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus, we've seen that over and over and over. Jesus is the one that was promised that would come and fulfill all of these things. So today, as we look at this text, what I want you to see in this, this beautiful text is some of the things that, that they were looking forward to, and some of the things that haven't been completely fulfilled yet that should make us look forward to not only the fact that Christ came one time, but looking forward to the fact that he is coming again. So Isaiah 11, I want to give you the background to this text. It's very similar to the background that we had last week when we looked at Micah chapter 5. Micah and Isaiah prophesying the same time period. So so this is the people of Israel have done things they shouldn't have. They have sinned. They have rebelled. They have lived in a way that they shouldn't have lived. They have been sinful. They have worshipped idols. They have uh, just disregarded the law and the teachings of God. And so at this point, God has handed down the discipline, the punishment that's coming to them for this. God had promised that he would, and now he has told them he is going to fulfill that, that if they rebelled and turned from him, that they would be punished. And so they've been told the Assyrians are coming, the most fearful nation in the world at this time. Uh, they would have known who the Assyrians were. They would have been fearful of the Assyrians. And they've been told now by Isaiah the Assyrians are going to come and they are going to bring utter devastation to Israel. So this is a dark time. These are difficult days. The people are hearing of the trouble that they're going to deal with. And they're hearing that this is coming and this is going to happen because of your sin. You have brought this upon yourself. You have worshipped idols. You have turned from me. And so this is what's coming. And then we see in, in, verse, in chapter 9, that text that many of you know, talking about the coming of the Messiah, this promised one, this child that's going to be born, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And in, verse, in chapter 10, we see this promise that, that eventually this, this, this discipline won't last forever, that eventually that God will bring them back and he'll punish the Assyrians. And then here in chapter 11, we see some more promises about this coming Messiah. And so I want you to look there with me. Verses 1 and 2 said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear 
of the Lord. So the first thing here is is much what we saw in 2 Samuel 7, that Davidic covenant, right? God told David, David, one of your descendants will be king forever. That's a promise that God makes to David. Well, here it says there's going to come a, a shoot, or right, a young growth from the lineage of Jesse. Well, Jesse, if you don't know, is David's father. So it's just reiterating the same promise. God told David somebody from your lineage would be king forever. Here it's saying one that is from the lineage of Jesse, who is David's father, is coming. The Messiah is coming. They would have recognized immediately that connection to that Davidic promise, that Davidic covenant. But here we see some things about this one that's coming, and we're going to talk about this Wednesday on, on Facebook in a, in a video that I'll teach. But the people here had been looking for this second coming of David ever since David. right? It's this, this, they wanted to see the new David, but we see some things here about this new David that tell you that he's not only going to be a quote-unquote new David, he's going to be a more perfect David. You see, the Messiah that's coming is not only going to be in the line of David, he's going to be better than David. He's going to be better than David in every single way. In verse 2, we see the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And that's this idea that the, the Spirit of God, when the Messiah comes, he's not going to have the abilities of God in spurts here or there as God empowers him. But the Spirit of God is going to stay with him, rest with him, abide with him, be with him forever. He will always have the Spirit of God. And so what does that, what sort of things come with having the Spirit of God? And that's spelled out a little bit there in verse 2. The, that means that he'll have the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Well, those are words that were, were judicial language. Wisdom, being able to decide and know right from wrong, know what's going on. He'll have wisdom and understanding. He would be this, this perfect judge because of the Spirit of God. He would have the count, he would have counsel and might. And these words are military language. And so we see this idea that this coming king is going to be a, a perfect judge of disputes. He's also going to be a perfect general. He would be great in might and strength and strategy and counsel and might because the Spirit of the Lord is going to be perfect. And the Spirit of the Lord would also give him knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And wherever we see this idea of knowing what God expects and fearing Him, it's the idea of, of knowing what God expects and doing it. This is moral language. So we see that this coming Messiah, David did these things in spurts, but this coming Messiah was going to do these things perfectly, and he was going to do them always. He was always going to be a perfect judge. He was always going to be the greatest general. He was always going to be moral and upright. And so point one this morning, the Messiah is the greatest and most righteous king, judge, and general that there has ever been. The Messiah, right? Jesus, we know that, but the Messiah, the promised Messiah, is the greatest and most righteous king, the greatest and most righteous judge, the greatest and most righteous general that there has ever been on the face of the earth, that there ever will be, because he's perfect in all of these things. 
So these people that have rebelled, that have had bad leadership and bad kings, and they have followed the example of that bad leadership and those bad kings, and these people that have done things that they shouldn't have done, and that are now being punished and now being disciplined and now under attack because of it, these would have been good things to hear. God says, listen, I know where you are and I know what you're dealing with, but I'm sending you one who will judge perfectly and who will protect and bring security and one who will bring about the moral clarity that you as a people need. So then we continue, and in verse 3 we read some more about this perfect Messiah that was coming. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So we see here in verse 2 that it's already told us that, that there's going to be, because of the Spirit of God, that there's going to be knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then we see here in verse 3 that not only will he have the fear of the Lord and understand it, but he will delight in it. This Messiah that's coming will know who God is and will know what God expects and will morally keep those promises and will keep the law and will do what is right. And not only will he do those things, he will delight in it. And this idea of delight is the idea of a pleasing aroma. It's this idea of, of being completely satisfied by something. It says that the Messiah will be completely satisfied in knowing God in fearing God, and in following God, and in doing the things that God expects. Jesus was that one that did those things. And then we see more about him as a judge, right? We see more about him morally. He will delight in these things. But we see also as a judge, he's not just... It won't be just the evidence that's presented in court. It won't just be the, the testimony of the witnesses. No, he'll know everything. He'll be completely perfect in understanding so he won't decide just by what his eyes see or what his ears hear but he will always know what's right and so he will always give perfect judgments he will always make the right decisions he will always settle disputes in the proper way and it's telling us here that that is good for the poor and that's good for the meek. Why is that good? Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If you've ever been in a situation where there was corruption, if you've ever been uh, trying to get a position or a job where there was a good old boy system, then maybe you were the right candidate or maybe you were the right person. But here's the thing. If you weren't the one that had power, then you were the one that drew the short straw. Where there's corruption... Poor people are the ones that are almost always left out. Meek and lowly people are the ones that are almost always universally oppressed in corrupt systems. And so it says here that when he comes, when the Messiah comes, righteousness will take place even for the poor, even for the meek. That he will not judge based on the way that people on this earth judge. He will decide what is right because righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. 
Point two, the Messiah will love God completely and bring justice for all. So we're starting to say, I pray that you're seeing here a pattern of of things that would make you long for the Messiah to come. He's going to be the most righteous king, the most righteous judge, the most righteous general that anyone's ever seen. He's going to love God completely and keep God's commandments perfectly and delight in doing that. And he's going to bring justice for everybody. And those that are oppressed are finally going to get what is right. These things are good. Not just for people that have been oppressed and people that have been attacked and beat down as they were, but these are just good things overall. Putting things in their proper place. I, I see some, in this text somewhat of this picture of, and we see this in movies a lot right there, there's a town, maybe it's an old western town, and, and there are a couple of folks that are good people and loving people and kind people, and they're just beat down by everybody, and they don't get what they deserve, and, and everyone's mean to them, and then all of a sudden this new gunslinging sheriff shows up, and he's going to put everybody in their place. He doesn't care who has power, he doesn't care who's who, he's going to do what's right, and we see a picture of this here with the Messiah. When he comes... He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care who your folks are. He cares about righteousness. The Messiah is going to bring justice. And we see that, that his judgments will last, that they will not be thwarted by anybody, that he is going to do what should be done. And if you're the wicked, then judgment's coming. And then in the last few verses, now all those things are good things. Right? All those things are good things. But we see a picture, I believe, in verses 6 through 9 of something that we have not seen yet. That, that you and I, they were looking forward to his first coming. This should make us look forward to his second coming. Because not only is he going to bring justice, is he going to bring righteousness. When the Messiah comes, he's going to fix everything that's broken. Everything that's wrong Every problem that sin has brought into this world, he is going to remove. As we sing at Christmas, he's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I believe we see a beautiful picture of that in verses 6 through 9. Look there with me. Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We see here a picture, my understanding of this text is we see a picture of the way things were in the garden before sin came. We also see a picture of how things will be and this Revelation 21 new heaven and new earth that Jesus is going to usher in one day. The wolf and the lamb together. The leopard and the goat together. The lion and the calf together. Friends hanging out. Not killing, not eating, just being together. We see a cow and a bear grazing. Right? The idea of a, a bear out in the field 
eating the ryegrass this time of year. We see a lion eating straw like cattle. Things that you and I have never seen. This is not the way the world is today. When there are predators and prey, the predators kill the prey and eat the prey. That's how it works. But it's not the way that it was. It's not the way that things were meant to be. I believe fully. It's not the way that things will be. We see a little child leading all these. A a child leading lions and leopards and bears. How could that be? Because in the beginning, the picture was that humans would have perfect dominion over all of the animals and over all of creation. He is going to restore all things to the way that they should be. The Messiah is going to make all the wrongs right. There is the, the promise that the first one that we looked at in this was in Genesis 3, this, this issue of there being enmity, strife, issues between the seed of woman a child and the seed of a serpent, right? Snake, we understand that to be Christ striking Satan. And we see here the nursing child playing over the hole of the cobra, right? This picture of the enmity, the issues between people and serpents being removed. Christ is coming to make, Christ came to make all things that were wrong right. And one day he's going to usher in this perfect kingdom Where there is nothing wrong and everything is right and everything is perfect and everything is beautiful the way that it should be. And as beautiful as all those things are, listen to the last part of verse 9. Last part of verse 9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. There we see it again, right? This knowledge or this fear of the Lord. The earth will be as full of that as there is water covering the sea. Brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when there won't be predators and prey. Among animals or among humans. Where there won't be evil, where there won't be attacks, where there won't be hurting, where there won't be anyone destroying anyone else. Where there won't be sin, where there won't be worry, where there won't be stress, where there won't be poor people, where there won't be oppressed people. There's coming a kingdom where all those things will be history. All those things will be gone. All of those things are the effects of sin. And one day Christ will remove all sin. And when he removes all sin, he'll remove all the curse from sin. And he'll remove all the effects of sin. Point three. The Messiah is bringing the perfect eternal kingdom of God. Now, he began to usher that in at his first coming. He made it available that we could be part of that kingdom at his first coming. But when he comes the second time, when he comes again, he's bringing this kingdom. He's ushering it in. It will come, and there will be righteousness because he is going to judge. And he's going to strike all sin and all sinners. But all that are righteous will get to be part of this kingdom forever. How do we get to be part of this kingdom? Because, as we've already established, Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death as a ransom in our place for our sins so that every one of us that would respond to him in faith are now seen in God's eyes as righteous. When we respond in faith to Christ and give our life to Christ, our sins are taken away, they're removed, our penalty is paid, 
And now we get to experience life without all of the effects of sin, without the guilt of sin. And we get a glimpse of that here because sin no longer has power over us. But we don't see it fully because sin still has power over other people. And we still deal with temptations and we still deal with issues and we still deal with the fallout of sin. But one day, the promise is one day those of us that are God's children through faith in Christ, we will know life without any of the negative consequences of sin and we'll know it forever and ever and ever. The last thing that I want you to see, and I, I pray that you, you will listen to this. I know that you've been in the parking lot for a little while and that bright sunshine that I wish was shining over here on the porch, and maybe it's warm and maybe you're getting a little bit sleepy. So let your window down if you need to. Perk up because I don't want you to miss this very last thing. This is something that I was studying this text, has gripped me, and I pray that it never lets me go. When you think about this promise in this context, this is what we see. The people were being punished. Why? Because they had sinned. Right? They were being punished because they did wrong. And in the midst of telling them their punishment, God speaks through Isaiah and says, This is your punishment. Assyria is coming to attack you. And you deserve it because you have left me and turned from me and worshipped idols and could care less about me. You have hated me and you have loved doing it. And in the midst of telling them that, he also says, but it's not going to be that way forever. This punishment is coming, but then it will come to an end. And some of you will be restored and Assyria will be destroyed and this is what's coming. In the midst of telling them what they deserve because of what they did wrong, he also tells them, listen, before you ever even sinned, I'd already made the decision to forgive you of that sin. To make it possible for you to be forgiven of that sin. It's this picture that whatever you did last week that is embarrassing to you, because you knew better than to do that. Whatever the worst sins that you've committed in your life were. It's this picture that God knew before the beginning of time. God knew that you were going to do that. God knew how terrible your sin was going to be. He knew how terrible your decisions were going to be. He knew how dumb I was going to be. And how evil and sinful I was going to be. And even then, even while we were sinners and enjoying being sinners, even then, he had already made the decision that he was going to send his son so that you and I could be forgiven of those things. He looked at our sin and he said, yes, I know that Zach's going to do that. But he didn't say, you know what, if he's going to do that, then I'm going to back out. If that's what he's going to decide to do, then I'm not sending my son for him. No, knowing what we were going to do and knowing how we were going to be, he still made the decision. I'm going to send my son to make it so that he can be forgiven of that. So that he could have that sin taken away. So that he, as undeserving as he is, could still be reconciled to me, brothers and sisters, it's, this reminds me of Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us 
And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, Israel, you've sinned and this is your punishment, but I'm still going to send the Messiah. I know you don't deserve the Messiah, but I'm still going to send the Messiah. Zach, this is your sin, this is what you deserve, but even though this is what you deserve, I'm still sending Jesus. Not because you deserve him, but I'm going to send him so that you can be forgiven of the things that you've done even though you don't deserve it. So that you can be transformed. So that I can take away the punishment that you deserve, Zach. I'll put that punishment on my son. So that you can be forgiven. And Jesus came and died on the cross. Paying the penalty for my sins and your sins. Brothers and sisters. It's why we celebrate Christmas all year long. Because Christ coming, Emmanuel, God leaving heaven and coming to earth, is the reason that we can live as forgiven people. So I want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray. And maybe you haven't told God thank you in a while. Maybe you've told him thank you for all kinds of things, but you haven't told him thank you for the forgiveness that you live in every day. I want us to do that today. So if you would join me and let's pray and tell the Lord thank you. Father, thank you for forgiveness that we do not deserve lord thank you that millions billions however lord uncountless years ago because you have been forever that even then ever since ever that you knew what i would do and you know what the people of israel would do and you knew what every person in every car in this parking lot would do you knew the terrible decisions that we would make you knew that even when we became Christians and knew better that we would still do many of the things that we've done. Lord, you knew all of this. And you had the ability to back out. You weren't under contract or obligation to send your son. But God, your love for us runs so deep that even though you know us and you knew what we would do, you made that decision. And you stuck with it. You sent Jesus, and he died, and he paid that terrible price. That wrath that you had against all of our sin, he took it, Father, so that we could be forgiven. Lord, as we look at Israel here and think, God, why are you going to such lengths to redeem them from what they deserve? Father, I pray that we see in that a reflection of ourselves, that we would look and say, God, why would you go to such lengths to redeem me? Because I don't deserve it. And, Lord, it would make us reflect on your goodness because, Father, you are so patient and so loving and so merciful. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us of the things that we don't deserve to be forgiven of. I pray that that grips us and it never lets us go, that we live every day thankful for the mercy that you have shown us. And, Father, that we share about that with others. Lord, that may not know it, that may not understand it, that may not see your love in that, that we show them and tell them and teach them about these things, Father, that they might respond in faith to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.